Have you ever wondered why anyone drinks Malort? Or if there are actually lobsters in the Chicago River? Then listen to the Curious City podcast, where we answer all your questions about Chicago and the region. WBEZ's Curious City is part of the NPR network and available wherever you find your podcasts. I'm Sasha Ann Simons, and this is Reset. Many Americans are saddled with medical debt. To help ease that burden, Equifax, Experian, and TransUnion are making sweeping changes to how they report such debt. As of July 1st, the credit reporting agencies have removed medical bills that were paid after they went into collection. And starting next year, they will wipe off unpaid medical debts of up to $500. But this represents only a fraction of the money that tens of millions of Americans owe for health care. And one in five, with any amount of debt, say they don't expect to ever pay it off to begin with. That's according to a new investigation by Kaiser Health News and NPR. Now, we talked about what's driving this growing crisis and who's most affected with Noam Levy, senior correspondent for Kaiser Health News. First, what's your reaction to the changes that these major credit reporting bureaus are making? Well, I think most consumer and patient advocates think that the steps that were taken are are positive. There's pretty good evidence that people's ability to pay their medical bills actually isn't a particularly good measure of whether there are good credit risks for other kinds of borrowing. Um, But I think the the bigger issue here is that a lot of uh, the debt is not on credit reports. And and even if credit rating agencies aren't digging people's credit scores Mm -hmm. for for unpaid medical bills, patients still may be subject to other kinds of collection actions, such as being sued, having their wages garnished, um, et cetera. Yeah. And uh, part of your reporting here says that two, the two changes combined should scrub 70 percent of the approximately $88 billion in medical debt that currently shows up on the on the credit reports of 43 million Americans, right? Yeah, and that's and that's not that's not nothing. But you know, one of the things which our uh, project showed is that if you if you look at all the different ways that people go into debt as a result of a medical bill or a dental bill that they can't pay, that is only a fraction uh, of the the total borrowing that Americans are being forced to do because of healthcare. So, we did a, a poll with uh, our partners at KFF at the Kaiser Family Foundation mm-hmm. to ask people about the kinds of borrowing that they that they had to do to to, to pay for healthcare, and we found about a hundred million people uh, in this country, including forty one percent of adults, are currently in debt, and more than half have been in debt over the last five years, and many much of that debt is. Uh, medical bills that people put on their credit cards and then they carry the balance, that's not going to be affected by mm-hmm. by what the credit rating agencies are doing. One in 10 people have borrowed from a friend or family member to pay a medical bill. Again, that's not going to show up on a credit rating agency. People are in debt for that and, and you know, that can be complicating for people's mm-hmm. um, relationships. So, so more people are in medical debt even, you know, ab- above and beyond this really big number. That's right. Yeah. That's right. Give us a sense of scale here um, and the impact. I mean, what is driving this crisis? So there are a few things, but 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 at 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 base, I think what's what's going on here is that people who have health insurance are increasingly in health insurance plans 
that require them to pay sometimes thousands of dollars out of pocket before their medical care uh, is covered in full. These high-deductible health plans have sort of become standard over the last uh, 10 or 15 years. And the fact of the matter is most people just don't have that much savings to cover an unexpected medical bill. So, you know, somebody goes to the emergency room after a car accident or they take a fall off a ladder or something, very quickly a bill at an emergency room runs into the thousands of dollars. And if you have a high deductible health insurance plan with your high, with your deductible at $3,000 or something, if you don't have $3,000 lying around, you're going to go into debt. The other dynamic that's at work here affects people who have chronic illnesses. And this is sort of one of the particularly pernicious effects of um, this debt problem that shadows our healthcare system. If you have diabetes or cancer or some other long-term illness that requires you to seek medical care every year, you're going to face out-of-pocket costs every year. So every year, your deductible is going to reset. Your out-of-pocket maximum on your health plan is going to reset. And so every time you need to fill your prescriptions to get your diabetes under control, or if you have to get follow-up tests or procedures, if you have cancer, even if it's in remission, you're Mm going to subject to more out-of-pocket spending. And our poll and other research suggests that people just don't have even $500 uh, in disposable um, savings that they can put toward a medical bill. Wow. Yeah. So this debt is really preventing folks from getting the care that they need. Um, You know, many folks, as you mentioned, they're facing these difficult choices because of their medical debt. Uh, One family's story that, um, that stayed with you is the Bucks. Here is Arian Buck talking about his kids. Let's listen. They want to go to the mall. They want to go to just on trips to like Sedona or Flagstaff and day trips. But even that little bit extra money is just too much. We just don't have it. Tell us more about this uh, this family situation, Noam. Yeah, the the Bucks are a family who live uh, outside Phoenix, uh, Arizona, young family, uh, both of mom and dad work, three kids. They're just trying to trying to make it, and they've had a number of major medical events over the last few years. Um, they've had insurance most of the time. Sometimes they haven't. But trips to the emergency room. Arian Buck, the the father who you just uh, uh, whose clip you just played right there, uh, had a stomach bug uh, a few years ago and got dangerously dehydrated, had to go to the emergency room and, you know, and ended up racking up big amounts of uh, big bills. His wife um, ended up having to go to the emergency room for a painful case of endometriosis that was more more medical debt. And you pile all that together, and the family now is looking at um, declaring bankruptcy. They, They have tens of thousands of dollars in medical debt and, you know, heartbreaking to hear um, Arian and his wife talk about the kinds of things that sacrifices that uh, they've had to make, the kind of just saying no to their kids, as, as Arian described, for field trips. He said they've had to borrow for school supplies. They rely on on relatives for Christmas gifts. Um, pretty heartbreaking stuff. But, you know, the, the thing is, <laughs> they're hardly unique. The amount of suffering out there that people are forced to undergo because of medical debt is pretty breathtaking in this country. Yeah. What other stories have you heard from folks facing, you know, similar decisions? 
I mean, you know, they run the gamut. We we interviewed uh, probably more than a hundred people, a hundred patients across the country over the last few months uh, about about their experiences. You know, some people are hundreds of thousands of dollars in debt as a result of complicated medical procedures. They people are losing their homes. We talked to a couple in a retired couple in rural Virginia that um, they had moved out to the country after um, they retired. They thought they had everything taken care of. They had health insurance through um, the husband's um, employer, a retirement plan. And that retirement plan had a a million-dollar cap, which um, used to be more common before the Affordable Care Act, although there's still some plans that grandfather in with that cap. And anyway, the the wife had uh, to have her part of her colon removed, and there were complications. They ran through over that million-dollar cap. They got more than $700,000 in medical wow. bills. They had to declare bankruptcy. But even small bills can be can be really devastating. I talked right. to a graduate student, a medical student in Texas, who, uh, after graduating from college in, in Chicago, was sexually assaulted, had to go to the hospital to get a medical exam, and um, a few years later or something, she got a, a bill for $138, I think it was, um, $130, I think it was, mm-hmm. for uh, the rape kit exam. Now, these kind of bills are not allowed by Illinois state law. The rape victims are not supposed to be charged, but she couldn't get in touch with the physician's uh, office that had originated this bill because they'd closed. She talked to the bill collector and said, this isn't right. They took a note down and said, so sorry. But then six months later, she'd get another call from another debt collector who had bought the account as these debts are often sold multiple times. And she was essentially haunted by this $130 bill for her sexual assault uh, for years until she finally was able to get it off of a, a, a credit report. So Wow. It's it's just bleak. It's just bleak out there. Yeah, and and Noam, this debt crisis it's hurting the poorest. It's hurting the uninsured as well. It's also deepening racial disparities. Can you talk about that? I can. Yeah, there's a lot of evidence, and and, and our poll that we did surfaced this as well. That that medical debt is much more common in Black and Hispanic communities in this country, um, and sometimes. Uh, in some communities, it can be three or four times uh, as high if you look at geographic areas, parts of the cities that are largely minority tend to have much higher medical debt than do um, largely white communities. And the reasons for this are, are complex, but believe stem from kind of history of discrimination that has made it much more difficult for many black and other minority communities in this country to build wealth. You can tie that back to redlining that made it more difficult for non-white families to buy property, to urban renewal uh, after the 50s and after the uh, Second World War that that in many cases just leveled traditionally black and, and, and other minority communities and cities across the country and from from which many communities never, never, never recovered had lower levels of health insurance coverage um, in non-white communities in this Mm -hmm. country for many, many years, which contributes to higher levels of medical debt. And then the healthcare system now is essentially reinforcing those disparities by loading 
very large medical bills on low-income communities that in some parts of this country have considerably less access to health insurance. So your latest piece, Noam, it focuses on how medical debt's affecting cancer patients. And uh, your team spoke with Jenny Ray Peters to learn about her experience. Here's a little bit of what she had to say. I woke up and literally the phone call, I answered the phone thinking it was my sister just to see how I was doing. And it was a bill collector asking me when I was going to make payments. And I just had my breasts removed. Tell us more about her story, Noam. Jenny Ray Peters is a single mom. She's 44 years old. She lives in Rapid City, South Dakota. Um, She's been um, fostering uh, kids uh, in uh, Rapid City for the last several years. She adopted two um, daughters a couple of years ago, right before COVID hit. And shortly afterwards, she was diagnosed with breast cancer. And she had health insurance through her work. She's a mental health counselor. Um, She works at a crisis center as well in in, uh, Rapid City, South Dakota. And uh, she went through the normal progression of cancer treatments for breast cancer, which including, as as she said, a double mastectomy. She also had to have her ovaries removed after additional testing showed she was at uh, elevated risk of, of, of more cancer. And over the course of the last two years, she's racked up more than $30,000 in medical debt. And this is on top of having to deal with the stress of um, getting treatment for cancer. She underwent chemotherapy and radiation. She's had seven surgical procedures. Mm -hmm. And she was terrified. First, she told me um, about leaving her kids uh, without a parent. They obviously in many cases, didn't have parents since they were adopted or foster kids. And now she's terrified about what this financial burden is going to mean for her ability to provide for these kids that she's taking care of. How has she tried to pay um, off this debt? That's $30,000. Well, some of it, thankfully, she's had some, uh, she's had some help from, from some friends. um, But she's sort of figured that, um, you know, she's not wealthy. Um, You don't get rich being a foster parent or being a mental health counselor in South Dakota. Um, And she's quite frank about the fact that she sees no way, basically, that she will ever be able to pay these bills. And she she says, well, I mean, I guess I could could stop skating less, ice skating for for my youngest kid, or I, I, I could not get car insurance for my teenage daughter so she won't be able to drive. But that doesn't seem like fair to do. And as she said, you know, particularly for a foster kid who's obviously had to undergo a lot of challenges, sort of saying, yeah. no, you can't go ice skating anymore because mommy's got medical bills she has to pay seems like something she's not willing to do. And so yeah. like a lot of people with medical debt, and particularly a lot of people who have cancer and medical debt, she's basically resigned, I guess you'd say, to having this sort of sword of Damocles hanging over her forever. Give us some more of the stats here when it comes to cancer patients. What other hardships are they more likely to struggle with? We found that two-thirds of people who've had cancer or have cancer in their family and gone into debt have had to cut back on um, food, housing, or other or other household 
essentials. We found one in four have declared bankruptcy or uh, lost their home in an eviction or foreclosure. We find that people who have cancer are more likely to say they've had to drain their long-term savings accounts like retirement accounts or college savings accounts. Now, one of the more terrifying things about uh, medical debt and cancer specifically is that there's growing amount of research by oncologists and others who kind of are looking at the health effects of the strain and the stress that's associated with um, with, with medical debt. And, and any of your listeners who've gotten medical bills or certainly have had medical bills go to collections know that it is a stress-inducing event to mm-hmm. simply get the mail. And many people I talk to will say, I won't even open the, the, the letters anymore because mm-hmm. it, you know, my heart rate gets elevated. I, I don't know what to do about it. It makes me feel hopeless. Well, I mean, those are physical health effects of being in debt. And some research that's been done out in Washington state has actually shown that not only are um, people who have cancer more likely to go into debt, more likely to, 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 to go bankrupt, but cancer patients who go bankrupt actually die more quickly than cancer patients who do not. So there is a, wow. it is, it is, there, there's a word for this that oncologists now use. It's called financial toxicity. And toxicity is a, a term that was used, it has been used for many, many years to describe the sort of horrific effects associated with chemotherapy, this vomiting, that kind of hearing loss, the, you know, dangerous infection that used to be common with chemotherapy. Well, now, now there is a term financial toxicity because physicians, caregivers realize that actually forcing somebody with a life-threatening disease like cancer to, actually, to also deal with the strains and stress associated with debt, to say nothing of what it mm-hmm. means if you've lost your housing, yeah. if you can't afford food, that this, I mean, it doesn't take a medical degree to probably realize that that's not terribly good for your health, particularly if your body is trying to fight. So, so Noam, where do we go from here? I mean, this country spends way more per capita on healthcare than any other country in the world. Is there any way out of this? Not, not an easy one, I'm afraid. But I mean, but I think you know, one thing that distinguishes the U.S. from other countries around the world um, is the fact that we do not limit what patients have to pay out of pocket in a in a in a in a, in a, in a meaningful way. And so, the Affordable Care Act did put maximums on sort of how much health plans could make people pay. But these maximums can be very high, eight thousand mm-hmm. dollars. And if if care is out of network and et cetera, that doesn't count. Most other industrialized countries in Europe and East Asia and Australia say to patients, you don't have to pay more than a certain amount, no matter what kind of coverage you have. It doesn't necessarily have to be a government plan like there is in Canada or in in, in the UK. Germany, the Netherlands have private health plans, but they have laws that say even across the board, there may, may be many competing private health plans, but there has to be a standard that you can't pay more than a certain amount of money out of pocket for your medical care. And that has essentially protected the residents of every other wealthy country in the world from the kind of debt and and and, and bankruptcy that we that we experience here. And I'll I'll just share. I know we're probably running short on time, but yeah, just about another debt minute is here. So uncommon in other countries that governments don't even measure it. So when you when you ask the German federal government, for example, how many people go into medical debt in Germany. They can't really tell you because they don't ask that question in any of the economic surveys they do of household financial health in Germany. The same is true 
um, in in the UK, it it is a uniquely American problem. Mm-hmm. They don't ask because it's not an issue. Exactly. We'll have to leave it there for now. That is Noam Levy with Kaiser Health News. You can read his latest story for the Diagnosis Debt series at khn.org and npr.org. Noam, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. That's it for today's Reset. Stick with this podcast to stay up to date on the week's other top stories. We drop a new episode every weekday afternoon, sometimes on Saturdays, too. I'm your host, Sasha Ann Simons. Thanks for listening. Let's talk soon. a break from the news? Well, my friend, Nerdette Podcast is here for you. Our show is all about delight. We laugh about what's happening in pop culture and feature thoughtful interviews with fascinating people. We even have a monthly book club that you can participate in. I could just go on and on about it. I loved this book. It was an experience. I'll tell you that. (laughs) I discovered authors I had never heard of, and I'm really happy that I did. Come hang out with us. Listen to Nerdette wherever you get your podcasts.